Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to the Kind Parenting Company podcast. I'm Jackie Ward. And I'm Kylie Camps. Join us as we explore topics and share evidence-based information, all while honoring our commitment to kind parenting practices. This is a safe space for conversation and reflections on parenting and motherhood, designed to best support you in raising your little loves and to be the parent you want to be. We are so excited that you're here. Let's jump into today's episode. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the podcast, which is going to be a solo chat with me, Jackie, where I'm going to be offering my thoughts on a topic that's actually been requested by you, by members of our KPC community. It's a topic that is actually one I'm, you know, really commonly asked about too over on Instagram, and that is how to manage unsolicited advice or even outright criticism about your parenting choices. Now, if you are catching this episode, whether it is the very first one you've ever listened to from the Kind Parenting Company podcast, or even if you're one of our regulars, I'm going to guess that you either identify with or at very least are interested in learning more about a kind parenting approach. Other names or similar sort of conceptualizations for this might include attachment parenting, gentle parenting, respectful parenting. And, you know, I recognize that they all have their own unique nuances, but for the purpose of our conversation today, I'm going to um, speak more about the commonalities between them and reference the ideas that they encompass. So this movement of parenting is one that is certainly gaining a lot of interest and attention in recent years, which I think is probably due to a few things. Um, Firstly, definitely due to advances in how we understand children understand their development, and then the neuroscience of developing brains. Another big factor I think that plays into this is the release of some pretty iconic books that have come out of this research. So books like Dr. Dan Siegel's The Whole Brain Child. We've got Dr. Shafali's The Conscious Parent, which, you know, became really mainstream and kind of um, incredibly popular after Oprah talked about the fact that it was one of her all-time favourite books. Um, so that's just, you know, two off the top of my head, but books like this have, um, played a big part in spreading awareness of this information because they take what's in the research and share it in a way that makes it really accessible for everyone. I also think social media has played a beautiful part in spreading awareness and starting conversations about these parenting paradigms and really connecting people who identify with them or who want to learn more as they move through their own parenting journey. It's really easy when you love this style of parenting to almost forget that it hasn't actually always been the predominant way, not within, you know, the Western world anyway. Not so long ago, more behaviorist style approaches, I suppose, uh, based on punishment and reward parenting were absolutely the mainstream and the norm. 
And we are, you know, really very much still feeling the impact of that today in terms of the books that you'll find in libraries. Um, You know, some professionals are still recommending those types of books as well. Definitely the conversations being had in some parenting forums and, you know, the trends and guiding principles in many institutions such as our education system. And it's because of this um, and the way that often behaviourist or, you know, what we'll call traditional parenting choices are really at odds with a more kind parenting approach that we're going to see opposing views come up on parenting. It's also part of human nature, right, too. (laughs) We're all individuals. We all have our own beliefs and viewpoints. And, you know, it's probably completely unrealistic to think that humans are all going to agree on any topic particularly a topic that people feel as passionate about as parenting. So because of these influences, it's really common for people to face disapproval or criticism um, or even just conflict when it comes to their own parenting choices. In my experience, it's a pretty emotionally charged topic and a big reason for that is because the stakes are so high You know, we all love our kids. We all want to feel that we are doing what is best for them, that we are making the best and right decisions. And so when something or someone threatens that ideal or challenges it, it can be really confronting and upsetting. I actually did a little poll on my Instagram stories this week when I was, you know, preparing some thoughts for this episode and I asked you guys if you had ever experienced this criticism, you know, about your parenting choices or parenting style. And it was interesting because 95% of the people who responded to that poll said that they had and of those people who responded, 97% said that the criticism came from someone close to them either a family member or a close friend. I think it's telling too that you you also said that when it did happen, when you faced this experience, most of you felt flustered or angry about it, which I think is, is pretty common. So knowing this, knowing that it's something that we are all likely to come up against and that it has this potential to stir up in us a really strong negative emotional response, I think it's so good that we are having this conversation. So let's jump in. I want to offer a few things today uh, to consider and make some suggestions about how you can handle this experience in a positive way. One that leaves you feeling good, like you've honored your truth, um, you've, you've shared your viewpoint and also responded in a way that feels really empowering for you. So the first thing to consider, if that is our goal here, is to know that it is not actually about you. Now, you're probably thinking, what? That is ridiculous. Of course, it's about me. That criticism or complaint has been directly aimed at me. But the truth is that any criticism you receive, whether it's about your parenting or anything else, is that it's never actually about you. Now, I I know that it feels like it is. Sometimes it can feel like an outright attack on you personally, but, but here's why I truly believe that it's not. As humans, our perceptions and opinions about things are never neutral. Two people can look at an identical situation and see two very, very different things. And similarly, those two people can go through the same situation and have two completely different experiences. And the reason for this is that we are all operating from our own unique 
very complex, multi-layered place. It's like we have this operating system within us and it is built over years and years, practically actually from the time that we're born and we're processing things subconsciously right through our childhood and into adulthood. And in fact, it's still being built and operating to this very day. It's made up of all the experiences that we have. So the things that our parents and caregivers taught us, the messaging that we receive from outside sources like the media, our culture. Um, It's formed from the reactions that we witness to our own behaviours and then the behaviours that we witness in other people as well. So you can see just how very complex this um, operating system is in terms of how it comes together for each unique individual. Sometimes, you know, we can pinpoint why we feel like we do about certain things. So for example, I remember once when I was young, I was in like early primary school and I had a banana smoothie one day and became sick afterwards, was throwing up. Um, And so to this day, I cannot stand the sight or smell of banana smoothies. So it's pretty clear to see why I feel that way and can pinpoint the exact um, experience that, you know, contributed to that feeling. But more often than not, our opinions and feelings about things are built upon numerous experiences and impressions. Sometimes these things are um, influences that we're not even consciously aware of. So they can be really, really hard to tease apart. So anyway, the point of all of this is that this operating system that plays inside of us subconsciously most of the time as we go about our life is like a lens that sits over our eyes and it colours every single thing that we see. It impacts how we see things and the thoughts and feelings that we have about them too. So when it comes to parenting and other people's judgments of your parenting choices, it's so important that we understand that they are projecting their own opinions through their own lens. It's likely that they are being influenced by the way that they were raised, um, perhaps by experiences that they've had in parenting their own kids, if they are parents too, or deeply held beliefs that they have. So let me give you an actual example. I think that's helpful sometimes. Um, One thing that I try to be aware of when it comes to my own kids is giving them lots of space in their play and lots of agency when it comes to managing risk. This is actually something that comes out of a RIE parenting approach, that's R-I-E, if you're interested in looking into it further. Um, But essentially, it's built on the idea that our kids need to test boundaries and have space to learn their own limits when it comes to their body and, um, you know, risky play. So I'm talking, of course, about calculated risk. I don't just send them out to play near roads or let them do things that are downright dangerous, but I do try to give them um, this freedom when it comes to risky play. And part of that is checking my own natural tendency to want to say to them, oh, be careful. Oh, careful there. Oh, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe not that high. Just come down. You know, things like that a hundred times every minute. (laughs) So what it can look like is letting them climb up trees, you know, higher perhaps than what naturally I might feel comfortable doing or letting them play in the waves at the beach when I'm standing right there with them or in the waves with them, Um, but letting them play in waves that are going to knock them down perhaps or, yeah, um, in the waves. And I know at times that this can make other people feel uncomfortable I have actually been at the park when other parents have expressed concern about how high the boys are climbing up on a climbing frame. 
Um, I've actually had one other parent ask me to bring him down because it was making her feel really uncomfortable. I've had parents take sticks off my kids when they've been playing with them um, to tell them that it's not safe to play with sticks. And I've overheard, you know, many times parents sort of tutting and saying it's irresponsible and that sort of thing. Now, it's really easy to go to a place of feeling defensive, like a boundary has somehow been crossed when another adult steps in to um, reprimand your child or, you know, not even reprimand, but take, you know, take the sticks off them. We'll use that example. But when I stop to consider what's actually going on, I can appreciate that they are seeing things through their own lens. You know, it's highly likely that their concern is genuine. Perhaps they were raised by parents who didn't allow them to take even small risks in their play, or perhaps they did and they once had an accident and broke their arm on the playground. So rather than me automatically going to a place where I'm angered about what I'm assuming is a view of me being a lax or irresponsible parent, it helps me manage the situation to consider, you know, why they are responding the way that they are. Another example that I can offer is one that gets brought up all of the time. So perhaps it's already sort of sitting in the back of your mind too. And I think because this particular issue is so divisive and that is the smacking issue. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's really common to hear people, particularly those in older generations, say things like, you know, that child just needs a good smack. Or maybe if you were to give them a smack, we wouldn't be having this problem, you know, in, re- in response to seeing certain misbehaviour or what they perceive to be misbehaviour. Now, this can be extremely triggering for parents who have made the decision not to smack. Now, this issue is one worthy of a whole other conversation, um, one that I'm not going to go into today. But let me just say that the research recognises that in terms of a disciplinary technique, smacking is actually completely ineffective and potentially damaging for our children too. There's tons of research to support that and Maybe that would be a good topic for another episode. Um, But in terms of what we're talking about here today, and that is understanding when others um, criticise or condemn our decision not to smack, we need to understand that that is about them. Dr. Nicole LaPera, whose work you might know, uh, she goes by the holistic psychologist on Instagram and also has written a um, brilliant book that I talk about a lot on Instagram too, and that is um, How to Do the Work. In that book, she talks about the generational legacy that we've inherited from our parents or our grandparents who lived in a time of survival parenting, what she calls survival parenting. So many individuals of our grandparents' age lived through a time where resource scarcity was a a real reality. And so many of them defined successful parenting as meeting their kids' basic survival needs. So, you know, feeding them, clothing them, giving them a safe home to live in. Um, That was sort of the the criteria when it came to successful parenting. There wasn't a lot of energy left over for meeting kids' emotional needs. 
And when we, as parents in today, um, or this you know day and age, when we understand this, it can afford us so much empathy and gives us insight into why individuals um, who live through this time, why they might be critical of things like what they perceive as us to be mollycoddling kids today or, you know, being more available to support our kids' emotional needs because to them that feels like a luxury that they just didn't have. They weren't afforded that luxury um, at a time when they were raising their kids. So hopefully this is making a bit more sense now, this idea that it truly isn't about us and our choices um, when other people choose to criticise them. Just to finish up this point, I want to share this amazing quote by um, a poet called Diego Perez. You might have seen his work. He actually goes by um, the pen name of, I think it's Jung Pablo, Um, but this is what he says. He says, it's easier to let go of someone's opinion of you when you understand that others see you through a combination of their past conditioning and their current emotional state. Without realising it, they see themselves first and through that lens they get an unclear picture of you. So I love that quote. It kind of sums up in a in a much more eloquent and um, succinct way the point that I'm trying to make here, and that is that criticism from others is never truly about the person that it's aimed at. Okay, so moving on, the second suggestion that I want to make um, is or it relates to the actual situation when we find ourselves in the place with our kids, somebody else there criticizing or being critical or offering up unsolicited advice about our parenting. So firstly, as I've discussed, when we understand that it's not about us, it's far less triggering this experience. So firstly, remind yourself of that. But then secondly, what I want to suggest is to try and come at it from a place of curiosity rather than defensiveness or anger. It can be really helpful just to pause and take a breath because in that moment, that pause is where ultimately your power lies when we, cho- when we choose our reaction rather than responding from a reactive place and say to yourself, I wonder why it is that they feel this way. Remember that we talked about at the beginning, the goal here is to respond in a way that's positive that's going to leave you feeling good and also, you know, best case scenario here, might as well be hopeful, you might even influence the person who's doing the criticising to see things in a different light. And that is only going to happen if you respond in a way that's considered and positive. Meeting their rudeness with your own um, or jumping to the defence actually does nothing but further escalate the situation. So I think it can be really helpful to try and be gentle and curious with them. Um, If you're anything like me and a lot of people, I guess, and that is when you're put on the spot, you kind of lose your ability to express yourself in a way that makes sense. And then, you know, later you get home and all of a sudden all the things you wish you said come flooding into your mind. Um, It can be really, really helpful as a strategy to kind of preempt situations and almost pre-plan what you'd like to say. That way, you know, if or when the situation arises, you're going to be less likely to be caught off guard and are more likely to be able to respond in a way that you feel proud of. So a really common scenario um, might be when you are faced with criticism around how you handle your children when they're having, you know, a meltdown or a tantrum in public. 
this is common because it's part of parenting children and if you are going to ever venture outside with your children, it's likely to happen to you at some point. Um, It's also a really common experience because the actual experience of being there with a child who is struggling emotionally in this way um, can be really confronting for other people. So our culture isn't widely, widely, sorry, accepting of big, messy feelings. It makes people feel uncomfortable to witness that. You know, we'd much prefer that that kind of thing happens at home behind closed doors. But of course, kids, they haven't learned that yet. They haven't been conditioned to suppress their big emotions. And so they don't hesitate to drop to the floor and rage or scream and kick and wail, throw things. They just act on what they feel in the moment. So if you're coming at these moments from a place of respectful or gentle parenting, it's likely that you recognize that your child is struggling to regulate their feelings and that they need your support in that moment. They don't need discipline or punishment or people coming at it from an, you know, a more authoritarian approach. So a really helpful response to practice, should you come up against criticism at this point or somebody interjecting saying, you know, the old classic, just they just need a good smack and they'll get over it or stop what you're doing, don't be so ridiculous, you know, just walk away from them, leave them if they're going to be like that. They're common responses that we hear um, and probably criticisms that I've come up against myself. So anyway, back to the helpful response to practice, a really good response that I have, you know, drilled into my brain is something like, you know, he's just having a really hard time at the moment, but don't worry, I know how to support him. Or maybe, you know, she's such a good kid. She's just feeling really overwhelmed right now. Thanks for your concern, but, but I've got this. I feel like responses like this are helpful because it communicates to the other person that you don't agree with their criticism. It sets a boundary and it also reassures you and also your child who's likely overhearing the conversation that you can handle this. And that is a really positive, helpful thing to do in a moment that can sometimes be stressful and overwhelming. Okay, moving on to my third suggestion. Um, And that is one that I want to make in terms of um, growing your own knowledge or educating yourself about the choices that you've made. So parenting is really intense, right? I think we can all agree on that um, at times and that our kids are constantly shifting and evolving and developing. You know, sometimes we make decisions based on gut feel and that's okay. That's better than okay sometimes. We do things that just feel right to us because they align with who we are and the ways that we want to raise our kids. When it comes to managing criticism from others, though, and if you are, you know, set on handling this and responding in a way, in a positive way, um, if that matters enough to you, it can be really helpful to deepen your knowledge about the choices that you make, mainly because it can make you feel more confident in them and able to stand your ground if you do get pushback. So, for example, if someone criticizes something you're doing, it feels far more um, empowering and effective to be able to say, well, you know, actually we choose to do it this way because the research says it's most effective for, you know, their development Um, rather than just stumbling through a, um, well, we just do, this is what we do and, you know, mind your business (laughs) type response. So let's do an actual practical example. Um, oh, okay, I know. When it comes to feeding and mealtimes, 
really hitting all the most controversial, emotionally charged topics today. Um, So a traditional way of parenting at mealtimes might look like you can't leave the table until you finish everything on your plate. This was a really common approach in the era that I was brought up in. Um, And recent research, though, indicates that if your goal is to build positive relationships with food and mealtimes for your kids, that that kind of pressure is actually really counterproductive. What it does is serve to complicate our children's understanding of their own body cues around satiety and hunger, um, and it also creates a lot of anxiety and stress stress, sorry, around the dinner table. So perhaps you've chosen to adopt a more relaxed, sort of no-pressure attitude towards food for your children, and you are sharing a meal with others who don't agree with that. And they are telling you exactly why they think that that's rubbish and that you should be making your children sit at the table until they finish everything on their plate. It can be really helpful in situations like this to feel confident in your decision uh, when you are able to share what you know from a really, you know, informed, educated perspective. So it's also easier, I think, to adopt that gentle, curious, non-defensive approach that I spoke about with others when you can say something like, um, you know, I can see that you're concerned that maybe the kids aren't getting the healthy food that they need. And, and I get that. I worry about that too. But, you know, I read this amazing book by an expert in children's nutrition, or I did this online course where I learned that the research supports the idea of relaxed, pressure-free meal times. So that's really what we're um, trying to create here for our kids. You know, if they come and tell me that they're hungry in an hour or whatever, then I'll offer them some dinner reheated or, you know, maybe some cut up veggies just so I know that they're getting the nutrition that they need. You can see that this style of approach is far more likely to open up a respectful, honest conversation about the issue rather than if you responded with, you know, mind your own business, we don't do it that way around here or stop criticizing me, you're always criticizing me. And on that point, something I always try to do is to keep an open mind. You know, none of us know everything that there is to know, and it's possible that the other person has something to teach me. Maybe their criticism is grounded or valid or based in something that I don't know about. So on the other side of the coin too, there's a really good chance here that you can be the person sharing your knowledge. Um, you never know who you could be influencing for the better. Perhaps they aren't yet familiar with the ideas or the um, approach to you know, parenting that you adopt. And so that one conversation that you have with them could set them on an entirely different path. That's something I always try and hold in the back of my mind too. Okay, my fourth and final suggestion um, to offer on this topic is that sometimes we need to accept that others aren't going to always agree with us and that that is okay. Assuming I'm assuming here that you are parenting in a way that's safe and loving to your children, and if that's the case, you don't actually owe anyone else an explanation for the choices that you make for your family. You know, as long as you and those who you've chosen to be in your child's, you know, we'll call it um, the sort of immediate caretaking village, you know, whether that's you and their co-parent, their nanny, whoever it is, so long as those people understand and believe in the choices that you've made collectively, that that's really all that matters. I think sometimes we can turn ourselves inside out trying to make other people understand or see our points of view 
And so much of that is just outside of our own control. Some people just aren't willing to be open-minded or to consider alternatives to their own beliefs. And we have to be a little bit accepting of that to, you know, sort of to protect our own energy and to not waste it trying to achieve the impossible. Sometimes dropping the rope is the kindest thing we can do for ourselves. So a little summary overview of the suggestions I've made today. Um, Firstly, to to understand deeply that criticism is not about you, Um, to approach any criticism from a place that's gentle and curious rather than defensive and angry, to educate yourself, to grow your confidence in your decisions, and finally to, to know when to walk away, accepting that others won't always agree with us and that that is okay. I would love to know if this episode has landed with you. Um, I appreciate you listening in to the end. So um, would love it if you could pop over to the Kind Parenting Company on Instagram and leave me a comment or screenshot a picture of wherever you're listening to this episode today, post it on Instagram and tag in the Kind Parenting Company. Your feedback truly means so much. Thanks for joining me and listening to this week's episode of the podcast. If you've enjoyed this content and are looking to dive deeper into the support that the Kind Parenting Company offers parents and caregivers, you will love the range of programs we have available. The range includes online programs for supporting baby and toddler sleep, most suitable for babies aged 0 to 24 months, and also Toddler Life, which is a guide for those raising children aged 2 to 4 years. Each program comes with access to video and audio files, as well as the opportunity to join the community forums. Podcast listeners receive 20% off all programs. Simply visit the Kind Parenting Company website and use the code KPCPODCAST20, that's KPCPODCAST20, at checkout. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.